do we see at Groundswell this year, the 26th and 27th of June, close to London, UK? Many friends of the podcast will be there. John Kempf, Abby Rose, Benedict Bozo, Henry Dimbleby, Claire Hill, Russ Carrington, Andy Cato, Tim Coates, and many, many more. See you there. During her time as CEO of Patagonia, it grew to over a billion dollars a year, global giant with a very strong activist focus. They launched their organic food company, Patagonia Provisions, plus the Regenerative Organic Alliance, together with Dr. Bronners and Rodeo. So why after she left that role and that stage, she joined the early stage VC fund focused on regenerative technologies? This is the Investing in Regenerative Agriculture and Food podcast, Investing as if the Planet Mattered, where we talk to the pioneers in the regenerative food and agriculture space to learn more on how to put our money to work to regenerate soil, people, local communities, and ecosystems while making an appropriate and fair return. Why my focus on soil and regeneration? Because so many of the pressing issues we face today have their roots in how we treat our land and our sea, grow our food, what we eat, wear and consume. And it's time that we as investors, big and small, and consumers start paying much more attention to the dirt slash soil underneath our feet. To make it easy for fans to support our work, we launched our membership community. And so many of you have joined us as a member. Thank you. If our work created value for you, and if you have the means, and only if you have the means, consider joining us. Find out more on gumroad.com slash investing in regenag. That is gumroad.com slash investing in regenag. Or find the link below. Welcome to another episode today with the former president and CEO of Patagonia and the current founding partner of Regen Ventures. Welcome, Rose. Hi, Colin. It's great to be here with you. And to start with a personal question, we always love to ask. I mean, we, I don't even, actually, I don't know how you got into apparel and, and that side <laughs> of things, but which I would love to hear as well. But then also, how did you then, I'm not saying make the switch, but went in to you, the world of soil and the world of food and the world of agriculture? Well, I was working, I've, I've worked in traditional, you know, business my whole life in, in both, uh, technology and retailing. And I, and I kind of hit this point in my life where I felt like my, my work was not aligned with my values. And at that point, I made, uh, the change to move over to Patagonia because, of course, you know, Yvonne Chouinard, a founder, is just, um, a very famous, responsible, businessman. And I felt like I would have a lot to learn from him. And so that's how I ended up at Patagonia. And it was an incredible 12 year ride there. Uh, the last decade, most of the last decade as CEO. Um, but, you know, we really got into soil through working a lot on land conservation, ocean and waterway conservation and advocacy. And of course, you, you know, you come to the realization that the best stewards of the land are indigenous communities who are local and have a stake in that community health, right? They're literally willing to stand in front of a bulldozer to protect, uh, their, their soil. And with soil and agriculture, it's, it's the most important pillar of, of human health and well-being. And, and we, we had always been known, Patagonia had always been known as um, a pioneer in organic agriculture through their organic cotton program. Um, but people 
were adopting organic cotton, but at a pretty low rate because they were wanting to buy cheap clothes, right? And so um, it felt more important to maybe make the connection of organic and regenerative practices, which are so critical to the climate and biodiversity emergency that we face, um, that we focus on um, on on that. And, and Patagonia had always had a relationship with um, with organic farmers and, um, and also with, um, with carbon, you know, understanding how farming affected carbon sequestration. So it was just sort of a natural thing for us to do. And we started, I founded the Regenerative Organic Alliance, um, back in, in 2018 with, the Rodale Institute and Dr. Bronner's and a few other organic brands is we, we put that together to create a certification that really outlined what regenerative practices were and would also give the consumer um, a high bar standard to say, Hey, I know that this is being created at a regenerative farm or a regenerative operation. And it's also not using pesticides or synthetic fertilizers. So that's kind of how we got into soil. Um, and and do, know, do you remember, like, how that, like, I always like to ask if there was a moment or was a gradual <laughs> process, because of course you've been focusing on apparel and, and of course on the sourcing of the fibers, but that is quite a step to food. Like, it's quite another, it feels like a very different, um, right. beast or well, thing. I, I, like, do you remember when it was triggered? Was it a, a, a documentary? Yeah, was it well, a visit I mean, to a farmer that you thought, whoa, this is, this is, this is wild? Well, I, I think, I think there's, you know, Yvonne was always very interested and I think inspired by some, some work that Doug Tompkins was doing in Chile and Argentina around, mm -hmm. around rewilding and regenerative farming. La Bianca, yeah. Yes. Yeah. And I think that that, that was, was an inspiration to him, but, but how to operationalize that and actually make that happen. Um, you know, there were a lot of conversations about how to do that. And like I said, yeah, you know, after I, he said that, I mean, that farm, that's, I still use that picture as an example because it's just so incredibly beautiful, but it right. never was, I think, financially sustainable, which, Sort of an underpin. Yeah, we we need that as well to to convince more. Uh, but the the farm. I mean, look look for the pictures. I'll put some links below. It's just like I think that he called the uh, the tractor driver's artist or something like that. And you yeah. can see that like the 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 photos are just spectacular. Um, and I can imagine, yeah, that serves as inspiration. Yeah, and I think like like everything else in you know the U.S. right now, you know, there's there's terms like organic and regenerative, you know, they come, they come under fire from directly from the chemical companies and lobbyists, you know, Alan Lewis uses this great term, the, the Fiberati, he calls them, you know, um, and there's always a status quo, you know, that, that, that seeks to debunk the, the, the benefits of, of organic and regenerative practices. But, you know, it's what we need now, um, to fight the climate crisis. And there's been such good research on, you know, organic and regenerative yields being competitive with conventional yields over the, the you know, five-year transition period and organic systems producing yields 40% higher in a drought and things like that. So there's, there's a lot of good data out there um, that says we should basically be going back to these ancient practices, right? You know, and, and that the chemical agriculture and monoculture and can, you know, CAFOs, you know, are not good for people or the planet.
And, and then your tenure ended at Patagonia and you could probably choose any job in the world. Like there, there will be opportunities um, popping up uh, if you like it or not. And you decided to, to join a venture fund as a managing partner or founding partner and very specifically focus. And you mentioned something now, like we should go back to these ancient practices, but region ventures we've, we've interviewed obviously the founder, Dan, I'll put the link below of the interview as well is very much focused on the technology side of things. So sort of feeling. I don't know if that's the feeling, but moving forward and, and making big steps into that. Like what, what was the rationale behind, um, after all the choices you could make or also not do anything <laughs> for a long time is to join this group? Nothing against Dan, because I think he's amazing. Um, but why this choice? Well, uh, Dan, Dan and I had worked together, uh, and invested together through the venture fund that I uh, founded at Patagonia, which was working primarily on innovations and supply chain. And I just felt Dan and I were the, were really value aligned about a few things. One was the speed and scale with which change has got to happen over the next few decades in order for us to have a livable planet. Um, the, the idea that the, the kinds of businesses that we should be supporting are founders that are focusing on restoring the planet and not destroying it. <laughs> um, and, and that the important thing about, and, and this is a startup fund, right? So we're focusing on, on really early stage uh, companies and that technology has to enable that transition um, and can be a tool to really enable that transition. And, and so that's, that's why I decided to work with Dan. I'm also on the board of, of, of environmental impact companies that I feel like will have, you know, will be the brands that will help with this just transition that we need to make towards, you know, electrification, towards changes in means of production, towards, you know, this new food system that we need to create. I mean, all of these are innovations and, um, economic opportunities. Um, and, and so it's, it's very exciting from that perspective. And how is the, I mean, of course, we're in a time where, where COVID has re restricted travel quite a bit in the last few years. We're recording this at the end of summer 2022. Let's hope autumn will be less chaotic uh, at the last, compared to the last few years. But how has the journey been? Because this was started, uh, right in the middle or even just before. Like, how has the journey been as a, as a founding partner of a, of an early stage startup fund focused on specifically technology in regeneration? Right. Well, I think, I think what's exciting is that most of the young entrepreneurs, um, that we meet and founders that we meet are, you know, they grew up with this crisis front and center in their life, right? They grew up digitally native and with, you know, tremendous amount of information and access at their fingertips to make their own judgments about, you know, what's happening to people in the planet in the old model and the status quo model, and then what they can do to change it um, and make a difference in the next couple of decades. And I think they're really driven by you know, in, in the, in the past, Yvonne was, Yvonne Chouinard was kind of a lone guy in the wilderness, you know, talking about, Literally, talking yeah. about the importance of environmental, you know, in, in, environmental, uh, responsibility. 
and and we've come a long way from there. And I and I you know for me personally, I felt like I, I want to spend the next you know couple of decades of my life where I can be useful, um, focused on regenerating and restoring the damage that we've done to the planet by creating these new economies, right? And they are new economies, you know, just, and, and I think that that's, that's the exciting part of it from a business perspective. And I think of that uh, based on products and services and uh, technology that can enable that. And, and so what are some companies or one or two that you are, that obviously is public, otherwise we wouldn't be discussing it, you're extremely excited <laughs> about? Like what, what are, what do you get to work with now daily or weekly that really uh, resembles for you that, that new economy piece? Uh, well, I mean, I'll, I'll go kind of from, from big, big to small, you know? So, so, from big, you know, it's, it's, uh, you know, I'm on the board of a, a company called Rivian, which is focused, you know, on electrification, right? And they, they were clean sheet of paper company focused on, on electrification and they're doing, um, you know, a, a kind of an adventure truck. Um, but, but, you know, they did really interesting things, you know, when they, they did their IPO, they gave 1% of their, um, equity, put 1% of their equity into a fund for nature. And I think it, it makes a commentary and it sets a leadership position of, you know, if you're going public and you're creating this huge liquidity event, why aren't you doing something for nature right now? <laughs> right. Because so little philanthropy. Especially you depend on it as a, as an outdoor truck company. These are the, no, the pickup true. trucks that go into most extreme circumstances, which I don't know if that's a thing really outside the US because. I think you could also take a mountain bike, but like it's, it's a huge market for outdoor sea and a lot of transport. Obviously, I think you have a huge deal with, with but, Amazon but as I well to, to get the trucks. Yeah. But I think it's represent, representative of this transition that we need to make to electri electrification. Of course. Yeah. I'm also on the board of, and we've invested in a company called Regen is invested in a company called Meaty, which is a plant-based, uh, mycelium root-based, um, uh, plant-based food company. And um, also really interesting because it it's using a very ancient, you know, fermentation process essentially um, and creating a, a really, really nice high protein source, which we will need more of in the, in the coming years, good protein sources at reasonable costs um, with, with a low environmental um, footprint. So I find, I find that whole space very interesting. And then on the technology side, some of this early, um, technology that we've invested in, I mean, there, it, it runs the gamut, you know, between solar powered robots that are used for, for weeding and, and farm support to, to mapping technology that's, um, that's, uh, looking at, how forest carbon is sequestered and, and giving up, giving us a way to look at that. Um, so, you know, and, and climate, um, climate solutions around democratizing carbon financing and how that, how that will work. And I mean, these are, these are sort of startups that Regen's investing in, which are, which are enabling the transition that we need to make. And, and how do you, use this model of VC early stage seed or, or pre-seed and series A um, investing with 
like how do you how does it work within regeneration i mean we've had many conversations here on the podcast where people say yeah simply the time horizons maybe don't fit well or even the return expectations of let's say primarily software focused or people that are used to uh, crazy returns like how do you feel about that um, is there enough deal flow that fits that? And do we even want to to fit that model of <laughs> the, the crazy scale? We need the crazy scale, like in impact, absolutely. But do we also need the these exits? Are they going to be there and, and sort of justify this VC model in regeneration? Well, I mean, the way I look at it is if you're looking at investments in regeneration and specifically food systems, you know, you, you don't have to go too far. You can, you can follow the money. <laughs> I mean, just look at the huge and, and in some cases unprecedented valuations that the large food companies have paid for natural and organic products, right? Because true, true. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and, and there's a list that, you know, that I, you know, I couldn't even name how many, but, you know, General Mills has bought a ton of those companies, Cascadian Farms, they've bought, you know, Danone bought Earthbound Farms. And, you know, you can just go down. Mostly on the brand there. side, like the CPG yeah, side, right? Totally yeah. on the brand side. And I, I really think of this as a product from a product perspective, because everything does end up on the plate in some form, you know, yeah. and investing in products grown with regenerative practices, right? Without pesticides and synthetic fertilizers and stuff with short ingredient lists and high nutritional density. That is the future. <laughs> if you don't think you're going to get a high return from that, you know, I, I just think you're not paying attention, you know, and, and, and citizens, this is interesting to me too, is that citizens are becoming much more enlightened, right? Because partly because of technology advances and, and the poor quality of healthcare, right? People are taking control of their metabolic health and they're eating, um, they're eating foods that are more nutrient dense, that are lower in sugar and fat and kind of all the things that the old food companies have like, you know, lived off of and, and they'll pay the appropriate price for those products. Um, and they'll also become extremely brand loyal, which is why a lot of the food companies buy those brands, keep those names, um, you know, and continue this sort of Trojan horse approach to changing their portfolio. Which is a risky approach. I mean, we, we've seen many examples. I mean, you've been very involved in, in the B Corp movement as well, where the companies were bought and Ben and Jerry's was probably one of the first and, and many others followed and they didn't turn out to be the children horse necessarily. They were, um, the name is still there. In many cases, they're better ingredients than others, but also in many unfortunate cases, sort of the, the real soul of the company and the real ethics and, and the impact disappeared when they were swallowed up literally by um, uh, gigantic food companies like how do we how do we prevent that with this new wave of, of regenerative uh, cpg companies to to not simply quote-unquote sell out which is great for the investors and, and great for for the space because it creates a lot of momentum but then maybe the large company doesn't change its sourcing like it doesn't become the trojan horse it simply becomes a horse and, and nothing really <laughs> happens which is still okay but it's not the revolution we need no, I totally agree. I, I think I do think that um, the best brands learn from those acquisitions. Um, sure, are there plenty examples of how they've destroyed them, and you know um, they're not there any longer. Um, but I, but I also think that that was a different time, and 
and I, I do think that the changes in the, the customer, the citizen are starting to have a greater, a greater impact. And you can't always look to the past to, to say, you know, what the future will be. I, I think regenerative ecosystems that grow delicious, nutritious and food and, and they also unlock maybe the distribution around, uh, local distribution. That, that's a, a winning investment combination. And, and I think some of these founders too, you know, they're, there's so much going on in the digital space now. They might be less likely to be dependent on that, that big company mm-hmm. distribution and might think of, of going public themselves and, you know, cr- creating other ways, other ways to create a liquidity event that are more meaningful. And, and so I think that's, that's also an element too. you want to learn how to invest or are you an entrepreneur and want to build companies in the regenerative food and agriculture space or do you work in big ag and big food and want to really move the needle we have developed a new video course for you find out more on investinginregenerativeagriculture.com slash course or in the show notes description below and and do you see like any potential in, in the steward ownership discussion. I know Organic Grown in the US basically sold to itself and became a sort of forever company like Bosch in, in Germany and many yeah. others. And and that to safeguard, I mean, still perfectly fine to raise money, perfectly fine to make money of your investments, but the mission stays locked in and, and can never be changed, even if the most quote unquote evil company shows up with $10 billion, we're, we're not going to sell for that because we know the mission cannot be changed. Like, do you see a role for that or is that just too far out of the current system? I think the current system is challenging, right? Because the, the buyer has a lot of flexibility and, you know, there are things that I think that's one of the, the, the ways that the benefit corporation movement has been important because it enshrines the, the, the B Corp, um, uh, charter into the legal framework of the company and says, these are the things that this company stands for and will either contribute to, you know, with philanthropy or, you know, whatever the model is, you know, in, in Patagonia's case, it was, you know, giving 1% of um, sales to grassroots environmental groups. But um, I, I think that there needs to be a better corporate structure around that. And I, I think B Corp is the closest thing that we have right now, um, but it's it's still it's difficult, right? It's a difficult thing right now to to make change in. I think that the the thing that's exciting to me about the entrepreneurs that we get to you know be in touch with with Regen Ventures is that you know they're they're pretty savvy about this stuff they're thinking about it right now you know when they're getting their first round capital they're thinking about who their investors are and are they value aligned and i don't think that was so much the case before which is hopeful i mean that's very um you need to think about it because if you go on a certain path or or with certain investors nothing against them but it sets you up for an X amount of years or X amount of rounds and and X amount of valuations. And that might be uh, not fitting, let's say for the overall strategy or impact you're, you're looking for. Um, So we need, yeah, we need awareness around, around that. 
And in terms of, I mean, deal flow in this deep regeneration tech space, um, very simple question. Do you see enough? Like, do you see enough exciting and also good founders, potential markets, and then all of that? Like, how, how has that been? Because it's quite almost like a niche within a niche. You know, I, I don't, I don't see it that way because I think I come from, you know, a background of making prog products and running businesses. <laughs> and, and what I see is everyone is trying to figure out how do I get to my net zero goals? How can I make my supply chain more resilient and stable and good for the environment and good for the people that work in it? And there, and, and everyone is dealing with those issues and they've made public commitments and, you know, ESG is a big part of governance now and, and, you know, that's, that's getting sorted out the harmonization of these, um, these, these ESG metrics. And so that's not going away. I mean, that, that, that is here to stay. And if anything, there's, there's not enough, maybe not enough deal flow to, to match the demand of what is really this sort of mega trend, um, to be able to track and manage projects, to be able to, to, to be to be able to ensure that you know the the carbon markets are 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 accurate and verified um, you know all, all of these um, transitions that need to happen that, that we talked about earlier um, so I, I I don't know I feel very optimistic about that I don't feel like like it's niche in any way and I think it'll deliver exponential outcomes both both returns and impacts. Um, and, and less with less risk than a traditional VC, I think. And, and what would you, I mean, you mentioned a few now, but what would you, like, if you had to pick one sub theme or something you would love to see more of, like, what are you quote unquote missing in, in your, your deal flow database? I would love to see more companies tackling X, Y, Z. What, what's really um, something you would, you would love to, yeah, to get to see more of? Well, I think there's so much, um, that we don't know about soil <laughs> and, and, you know, kind of where we started the conversation, right? It's like soil is a mystery to us. I think in terms of being able to, to really be able to measure, you know, carbon sequestration in a meaningful way. Um, and, and when we, when we crack some of that code, um, I think it will be really interesting. I mean, I'll give you an example. I'm, I, I, um, I'm on the founding board of a nonprofit that's it's called the Society to Protect Underground Networks, and it's all focused on fungi with a brilliant... It's fun. Um, yeah, we should have Toby on soon. Yeah. You have got to have Toby on because she's brilliant. I mean, there are, you know, trillions of miles of mycorrhizal fungi, you know, sequestering carbon uh, around the world. Um, and, and they're actually going through process of mapping that. Um, and it's it's not just on farms, but in grasslands and deserts. And... Forests and, and very extreme it, places, yeah. Their amazing yeah, and, video is, is I'll put a link below. It's it's hilarious and very very cool at the same time. <laughs> so this this fungus makes up you know in in different places in the world can make up up to fifty percent of the world's biomass and and seventy five percent of the world's terrestrial carbon right is stored underground. We know very little about that. Um, you know, this, this, um, Toby is, is working to unlock that. I think she's the Jane Goodall of, you know, this generation. Um, and, and, you know, working on 
you know, how do we unlock this, this network in such a way and learn from this network in such a way to, to make sure that we have, you know, a healthy functioning, um, you know, carbon storage network. That to me, that kind of thing to me is really interesting. And there are so many different, um, companies that could spin out of that idea, um, and be helpful to this transition that we're trying to make. And, and so, uh, yeah, I mean, I'm just, I'm excited about that kind of, that kind of thing. And I think that we haven't even really scratched the surface, you know, but we've got all these great young entrepreneurs working on it. And, and what do you believe? I mean, I'd like to ask this question inspired by John Kemp. Um, he asked it slightly different, but what do you believe to be true about regenerative agricultures that others don't? So if you go to a conference, if you where are you contrarian within, let's say, our bubble? Well, I, I think I'm contrarian in, in, in a couple of ways. I mean, one, I, I do think regenerative organic agriculture, and I feel like I have to say the word organic because it, it, it negates then using synthetic fertilizers and pesticides. It can feed the world. We, 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 we know that there's been enough research that, that proves it, but there's a lot of, uh, junk science out there funded by chemical companies, right? That, that, that's invested in the status quo and it's got these captive ag schools that say you'll never get the yields, but it's just not true. Um, and so what can we do about uh, it? We have seen the research. We've have the papers. We've had the profitability papers of, of prof, like Dr. Jonathan Lundgren proving that it's way more, it's better for the pests, it's better for your insects, it's better for your yield, it's better for your, especially for your profitability and, and all of that. And somehow every, every time this question keeps coming up, like, okay, but it sounds all real nice and cute, but how are we going to feed the world? I'm like, really? Like, are we still there? Like, <laughs> what, how do we, should we learn from the tobacco, like grassroots movement against it, how they silence it and still it's going strong, unfortunately, in certain places, but like, how do we, how do we unplug that 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 blockage that we apparently have around yield and profitability that just doesn't isn't true but seems to be continuing to be to be true at least in the the the, the general audience's view? Well, there's a lot of um, there's a lot. It's it's analogous to me like the the fossil fuel industry and climate mm -hmm, right mm -hmm. it's it's very analogous to that there's a lot of big chemical interests like you know Monsanto let also me think about using Monsanto. fossil fuels actually yeah <laughs> yeah yeah there's a lot of big chemical interests that you know pay for that narrative to be out there I think what needs to happen is that um, these entrepreneurs these new you know ceos of companies that um are focused on regenerative and organic need to be more vocal you know they need to they need to they need to um be able to um to to have that public debate and and have a policy and advocacy you know part of their business you know that that lobbies just as hard the the problem is right the chemical companies have a lot of money i mean but look at monsanto you know, they, they, we finally won the battle against them to a degree. It was so bad that they changed their name and, you know, left the country, right? I mean, after, you know, poisoning <laughs> our soil for all those years, you know, with, with, uh, cancer causing agents. So it, it, they can, they can be vanquished, although they're, you know, sitting in, in bear right now, but they can be vanquished with, with, you know, the, both the changes in the consumer and customer behavior. And, and also, you know, companies and uh, in terms of policy and advocacy. And that, that will help move 
things much faster. And I don't, I don't know if you're seeing this, but to me, it feels like everything is moving exponentially faster, right? Because oh, we've been true. fighting yeah. these climate battles for so long. <laughs> and then all of a sudden, bam, you know, they just, things are, things are moving, you know, partly because we're in such a crisis, right? Absolutely. I mean, if we look at this, this summer, I don't think you can pick any place where it was a, a traditional summer, a normal summer. I mean, if you look at the heat waves in India and Pakistan, if you look at the the heat waves in, in, in the US and Europe and many other places, if you look at the drought, the flash floods, everything seems to be happening faster than, than the worst scenarios. So hopefully, of course, and, it, and it Cohen, this is probably something. this is probably the coldest summer you'll ever experience. Yeah, this is um, <laughs> that's the scary part. Yeah. <laughs> right. I mean, that's that's what's terrifying, you know. Um, and what gives so, you hope then? Like, are you with all that you've seen and the, the fights you've fought in the apparel industry and in the chemical food or against the chemical food industry, but still within it because you were fighting it? Like, what are you optimistic? And if so, why? <laughs> well, I feel like I'm realistic about, you know, the damage that's been done. But, you know, I have to say one thing about working in, in conservation of, of, uh, of public lands and working with indigenous um, uh, groups that are um, working on public lands issues is, you know, when you undam a river, <laughs> the fish stocks come back, you know, the, the river comes back to life. And so I believe in nature's ability to restore and regenerate itself if we... Uh, stop doing the harmful things that we're doing and and it can do it quite quickly. I mean, we, we saw that in, you know, in LA after a week of, uh, you know, COVID lockdown, <laughs> I walked outside my house and I was like, I've never seen skies this blue in Los Angeles. Yeah. Uh, no, the, it speed, about- the, the speed is, is, is yeah, very hopeful. And so what would you, let's say we do this in a, in a theater somewhere and there's a live audience full of, investors, people working in the finance space or people working also in this space, where would you, of course, without giving investment advice, but where would you tell them to, to look deeper or to dig a bit deeper? Is it mostly mycelium? Like what are places where we definitely need, let's say more energy, more people, more resources, more funding, more investments, of course, but what would you tell them to in this regen ag and food space or regeneration space, where would you tell them to, okay, go, go and explore there a bit deeper and a bit further? For sure, it is in the soil and it is in that network underneath the soil, which includes mycorrhizal fungi. It includes, it includes all kinds of issues around soil health and, and, you know, from forestation to grasslands management to, I mean, simple things that sound simple, but they're, they're, they're difficult to, to implement, but need more energy and, and financing and innovation and thinking is just, you know, like pasture raised animals, right? I mean, if we, we eliminated all of CAFO today, I mean, you'd see water systems restored. You'd see waterways and rivers restored. You'd see, you know, you'd be able to fish in your local stream again. You know, <laughs> there, there, there are so many benefits to like rethinking a lot of these sort of status quo ways of, um, of uh, implementing our food system. And, and so I think, I think that to me is really a place, you know, agriculture, food systems, um, 
you know, I, I think I would generally stay away from like the GMO CRISPR science, you know, gene editing stuff, because, you know, we've had that for years and it really, you know, it hasn't, it hasn't been perceived as anything good for people or the planet. And, you know, I know that there are, I don't know how many European nations it is now, um, Cohen, that have, that have banned GMOs, but it's more than seven, I think, or six or seven. So, you know, soil is the wealth of our nation and um, there needs to be a lot more attention um, put on soil and um, the, the impacts that soil have on our, on our life and our health. And, and what do you tell I me? Mean, you bring up the, the animal protein side. And of course, as, as Region Ventures, you're investing in a number of, of plant-based companies. What do you tell like a hardcore, like we're still in the same theater and a hardcore um, the person following a vegan diet stands up and says, yeah, but what about the animals? Like what's the, what is your normal, because I struggle with that, honestly, the, the normal answer, what is your, your usual response to when people really um, respond quite badly to the potential of grazing animals and, and the potential that it has in an ecosystem. What is your usual, I'm asking for a friend, AQA me, like what do you <laughs> respond to to somebody that, that really um, focuses on getting all animals out of the food system? Yeah, I, I understand that. I don't think it's, it's going to happen anytime soon. Um, I think that people need to be making huge reductions in the amount of um, meat that they're eating. And if they buy meat, it needs to be, you know, um, you know, made in the correct way. And I'm not saying the burden of cost should be put on people, but I think that's, that's more on regulation and manufacturing and, and, you know, product creation. But, you know, when I look at like it, you know, the example of how it's done well, I think about Dan O'Brien at Wild Idea in South Dakota, who restored that, South Dakota plain that was destroyed by cow farming that didn't belong on the, on the South Dakota plain, <laughs> restored the native grasses and, you know, restored the keystone species on the, on the plain. And it's beautiful. You go there and you can hear the burrowing owls and you can hear the, all the birds and, and see the whole ecosystem restored. Now he didn't do that as an NGO. He's like, I need to make money. It needs to pay for itself. So he's selling Buffalo meat, but He's doing grass harvesting. He's doing the most humane harvesting I've ever seen. Um, Patagonia, we helped to fund, fund that. Um, so, you know, I get it, but I also get that, like, we need grazing animals on the, on the binome, you know? <laughs> and so, um, grazing animals done right is good for the planet. And what role can technology play there? Like, what's the, cause I don't think you're going to invest anytime soon as Regent Ventures or at least the first fund in, in a buffalo herd, um, but are there things exciting for you in that animal protein space that could be could be interesting at some point for a VC fund looking at um, the technology, like the implementation of technology with regenerative practices? Well, I think I think some of the interesting technology is the technology that sort of proves the model out. That if you look at you know the cow ranch next door to the you know, to the ranch that's, that's letting mm -hmm. Buffalo do their, their natural thing and roam around and, you know, um, help till the soil with their, with their, uh, hooves and things. You know, if you, if you look at that, um, from a rigorous soil testing method, the, the Buffalo ranch is going to sequester more carbon. It's going to create a healthier ecosystem. 
and it's going to be um, better uh, for, you know, weather and climate resistance and resilience. And I, I think those are the kinds of things that like technology can help define and um, create markets for whether they're carbon markets or, um, you know, other ways of exchanging carbon, carbon credit. And I think it, it's an, it's, there's, there's a lot there. There's more that I'm sure we haven't even seen yet, but those are the kinds of projects that I think are interesting. And if you would be in charge of a, like, let's say you've raised a billion dollars or let's say a large, <laughs> large amount, it doesn't have to be only early stage VC, like it could be the full suite because I know then at some point, um, I mean, there's, there are definitely ideas to, um, to make this a whole suite of funds and suite of approaches, etc. Like, what would you, you do if you'd be in charge of a billion dollars there? I mean, there should be a return at some point, but it can be very, very <laughs> long term if that's needed. But I'm asking this question to, to understand priorities. Like, where would you, would you focus this amount of resources and this amount of, of energy at the end? Because money is energy. Um, if you, if you would be in control of that, let's say tomorrow morning. Well, that's, that's something that deserves more thought than a, you know, than a couple of minutes on the podcast. But I, I would say that there are certain areas that are really, um, critical, right? And one of those, one of those areas is, um, the fact that a lot of, um, farmers don't own the land that they, that they're farming. It's, it's leased and, um, and, and there are all kinds of, you know, difficulties for farmers to actually finance uh, the transitions that they need um, from chemical agriculture or mono, monocrop agriculture to, to regenerative agriculture and, and start to begin to move that meter um, to building topsoil rather than destroying it. So I think, I think working on that, um, the financing mechanisms for that transition is very important because it's a multi-year transition. Um, I also think, you know, this cleanly produced, this plant, plant-based protein is very important for the future because, you know, if we were feeding everyone the American diet, why we'd blow out all of our planetary boundaries, right? So that, that's not the way to go, <laughs> you know, besides the, the large amount of diabetes and other, you know, mm-hmm. medical issues that we have in the U.S. So, um, you know, I think that's, that's important. I think this, this pasture, um, pastured animals done correctly. I think that's, that's an interesting space and, you know, innovation needed there. And, and, uh, you know, and, and I think there's, there's a lot that could be done there in, in, in an interesting way. And I also think, you know, financing the transition through these, you know, carbon markets and measurement tools and the science that we really need to know that's not, you know, what we've had in the past, which is these big, big chemical companies or big food companies that just, you know, own these agricultural schools and basically tell them what to, <laughs> you know, report. What instead to study, of the truth. Yeah. yeah. Instead yeah. of the truth of what's actually going on. So we need, you know, more, more sort of interesting citizen science and collaborative science. Um, and, you know, I think we're at a really critical juncture as a species, you know, we're either going to choose life and innovation and health and learn to live with nature instead of destroying her, or we're going to go the way of the dinosaur. And and I'm not willing to give up yet. You know, I have hope we can tip the scale towards a more righteous future. And on the clean, on the, the plant-based one and the clean labeled one, like what needs to happen there? Because it feels like 
the the solutions that are currently on the market and getting a lot of attention, also getting a lot of criticism from the ingredient yeah. side, from the the labeling side because there are just too many things on the label, and maybe also from the taste side to a certain extent. But just simply the the nutrition, the health, and also you can make an argument that they're potentially worse or at least equally bad uh, in terms of sourcing and, and where their their ingredients come. I'm obviously talking about the, G- the GMO soy, etc. Like what? Yeah. What do you see there? Is Was it sort of a first generation? I mean, there were generations before and then now we're thinking, okay, we actually, I mean, it's not just plant-based is not, not good enough. We need to go a level beyond that because otherwise we just you know, replace one crab with the other crab, which is not really helpful. Yeah, I totally agree. I mean, that's why I'm really excited about meaty because it's a very short ingredient list. It's using fermentation and it's using something that is... Um, uh, basically mushroom root mycelium based. And it's, it's, it's very good on the gut. It's not trying to create, you know, something that looks like meat that that's going to, you know, wreak havoc on your gut because it's got this long ingredient list. It's trying to create, you know, fat textures and stuff like that. You know, it's, 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 it's more sim- simple. And I think those are the kinds of solutions. How is the taste? I'm, I'm fascinated yeah. by them. Like, what's yeah. the ta- you've tasted it for sure. It's, like, what's the taste like? It tastes amazing. <laughs> I mean, I, I wouldn't have gotten involved with the company if it didn't eat well. I mean, it's it's and it doesn't have. I mean, I've always had issues with the other plant based meat companies in that it just didn't feel good in the gut afterward. And I learned that a lot of that has to do with both the fact that they're using a lot of GMO inputs, but that they're also trying to, you know, recreate you know, meat textures and things like that. Um, you know, mycelium root, mushroom root kind of already has a meaty texture to it. So it's, it's, um, it tastes very good and it's a beautiful center of the plate product and it's, it's doing very, it's, it's doing very well. And I'm, you know, just really excited to see that brand. What does it use as a sort of ingredient? Sorry. Like what, what does it use as ingredient? What does it use to, I don't know, grow the mycelium on? I don't think on is the right word, like in, or like how does, like what, what do you need to feed it, quote unquote? It's a fermentation, yeah. it's, it's a fermentation process and you feed sugar mm-hmm. to it essentially, right? And fermentation. And does not matter what kind of sugar? It, it does. And I think, I think sugar sources is an issue, right? Because you want to get the best source, most responsibly source sugar. <laughs> so that's, that's an issue that we, you know, that we focus on as well in the supply chain there. Yeah, because otherwise, I mean, the sugar industry has has some issues as well, not just because of the sugar, but also because of the, the growing practices there. Um, For sure. And so that's very interesting. I mean, the fermentation part obviously is very interesting. And do you see a lot of other innovations there in a sense like that use this, um, not trying to fake meat, but actually trying to grow a product that is as center plate, as you mentioned, as tasty yeah. or even more like, is that, has that been happening because of all the backlash that obviously some, some of the larger um, companies we've seen with a lot of marketing budget. Um, like, do you see a lot of innovation in there or would you love to see more? I think we're going to have to see more innovation on, and we're seeing it already with, with, um, you know, protein being added into, into products, right? Um, uh, because people want to have a, a higher protein diet or get the amount of protein that they, that they need in a day and they don't want to, do that by just eating, you know, by just eating animal meat. And, and so we're, we're seeing that, but I think there's, that's a wide open field. I mean, one thing, one thing I learned about the food industry, you know, starting Patagonia's food business is that, you know, innovation should not be about, (laughs) 
you know, adding new flavors and <laughs> that kind of thing, right? Innovation should really be about the future of food, you know, and I think very few big companies think that way, which is why they end up, you know, buying these innovative smaller companies because they just don't have that capability in-house. And like, but it's an interesting because we've talked about the CPG side and how it can really unlock interesting returns, but also unlock, I think, a lot of um, farmer, like potential for farmers to to find supply or to find ways to to sell their regeneratively grown um, almonds, et cetera, et cetera. And, and yet on, on the $1 billion question, you, you said you didn't mention, okay, well, let's invest in a lot of these startup food companies to, to do it. Is that uh, deliberate or do you see um, less opportunity there? Or maybe it's more crowded and, and like, because we know organic exits were good, like this space will, 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 will attract like new, new bars and new food companies. Or is that has been something you, you haven't focused on too much? No, I, I think I think that the change, a lot of the change will happen. Um, I mean, I, I mentioned plant-based because I think protein is so important and sources of protein are so important as we look look to the future. And um, like I said, this issue of, of using animal-based proteins would kind of blow out, you know, the planetary boundaries to, to the extreme. Really especially, quickly, yeah. <laughs> yeah, especially with this CAFO model, right? It's really terrible. It's really bad for the environment. So. So I mentioned I mentioned plant based, but I also believe that there will be innovative products, right? That people will um, and they'll win by being the best product. You know, they'll win by being um, the most delicious, nutritious product. And and you know, you've you've talked a lot, I know, about you know nutrient density, um, and and that's also an important factor for people now. And I really I really do think that there is a huge change happening where people are. People are unhappy with their healthcare. You know, they're starting to take it into their own hands and they're starting to be technology that's helping them to do that. So I'm excited about that. I think there's a whole huge opportunity there in both, you know, transforming food systems and healthcare. And there's, there's just a lot there. Now, have you made investments like in that, like in the healthcare food space, let's say, or are you looking at things? I mean, obviously only if you can share, but. Have you done any any deals there? Uh, not 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 in that particular uh, space, but um, you know you we like are looking at we are we are definitely you know talking to companies that are that are looking at that space. I think a lot of a lot of folks are. I mean, it's going to be uh, huge um, as as people begin to be able to to take more control over their metabolic health. And then as a a final question, it never is the final question, but um, <laughs> if you could change one thing overnight, so you don't have your $1 billion fund anymore, I'm, I'm sorry, uh, but you do have a magic wand and you have the unlimited power to change one thing and one thing only, what what would that be? I think it would be to abolish all forms of chemical agriculture. Simply make it illegal or simply like what would that process? <laughs> yeah, regulate I mean, it, this is, this regulate it out of existence, yeah. you know, regulate very regulate quickly out yeah. of existence. Right? How quick? How quick would you do it? Okay, <laughs> as quickly as year, I mean, if I could wave a magic wand, I would do it right now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's a tough one because it's like, would I, would you do that or would you get rid of all the CAFOs in the, in the, in the world? Or all well, the I'd subsidies probably, could be. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, I know. It's, I mean, but maybe if you get rid of chemical agriculture, there won't be this immense surplus subsidized, obviously, of, of feed that could easily go to CAFOs and thus take also take out, take away their business model, which, um, in a, in a, in a true cost accounting world, obviously wouldn't exist. 
Um, right. and, and in an unsubsidized world, I, I'm betting that it wouldn't exist either. Um, so maybe if you take away the feed, also that model doesn't doesn't have any legs anymore. Yeah. And so that would be the the big the big change. And anything you're particularly excited? I mean, where it seems to be that we're going into a, a, a hot, literally, but like autumn and obviously <laughs> winter, like things you look forward to over the next, let's say, six months or so from from the venture side from region ventures like what's uh, what i wouldn't say keep you up at night but what's exciting you over the over the next months we should definitely check into let's say if we talk in a year or two years to see okay what's uh, what's brewing there well i think what's exciting is um we've we've deployed we've deployed uh a, a portion of our fund but we still have a lot of capital left to deploy and there's so much exciting uh, there's so much exciting um, stuff happening in in both you know in food and technology and in uh, in soil health and in all of these different areas that I just feel like we're really positioned to pick those um, regenerative technology companies that that really have the, the capability to scale and we're we're seeing you know we're seeing the beginnings of that in these early stage companies that we're investing in and I just I just see the impact that that the fund can have as being, you know, having great returns, but just just having really significant environmental impact, which is which is what we're 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 shooting for. And I don't see those things as mutually exclusive, you know. And I I ran a business where you know we were very profitable and very successful, um, but we also um, we're, we're very mindful and supportive of planetary health and advocacy. And, and those are the companies that I think will win in the next generation. And those are the companies that will be on our lips. It won't be Pepsi and Chevron and, you know, the companies we grew up with, or I grew up with probably. <laughs> no, I think it's an interesting point. I mean, and it's also a very, fundamental piece i think of the patagonia journey that it never got sold or at least i think it never even got investment capital or outside capital to a certain extent and maybe it didn't need that in that time frame like now we are living in different times of course but it had this sort of long organic growth and and of course hyper scale at some point but it it really only had to serve um the 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 goals it set and not necessarily um, Wall Street or something, because I don't know if that journey would have been the same over 40, 50 or whatever the, the number is years. Um, there would yeah. have been some crises potentially. So there's something to learn there potentially as well, but also raise the question, what happens with the next generation? I mean, nobody has eternal life and even neither. Like what will happen? I mean, for sure plans are in place, but what, how, how can that live on and have the enormous impact it had also many decades from now? Yeah, well, I'm not the CEO anymore. I can't really answer that question, but I, I do, I do think that the benefit corporation structure is helpful in that, in that secession conversation, because like I said, it does enshrine the values of the company, mm-hmm. um, into the company's charter. And so you, you know, you know, what those values are and they're very explicit. So, you know, but yeah, I don't have a crystal ball of what will happen in the future there. And, and do you see, like, has it changed in terms of the amount of entrepreneurs you've seen with this deep tech and deep regeneration focus over the last couple of years? Like you say, we see sort of this, this growth now. I'm very excited. We, we have uh, quite a bit of dry powder left, which is great because we see deals. Has that shifted? Has that changed since your 
time with with Regen Ventures, or has it been always quite a, a good amount? No, I think it's I think it's like sort of a renaissance, you know. And I I think part of that is the that that a lot of these founders are digitally native, right? I mean they 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 grew up in a digital uh, world and that, that we did not or I did not um, with with a lot of information at their fingertips and a lot of technical knowledge and and with idealism of wanting to apply that um, to the world and and they are um, they are vocal they are active they are you know um, coming up and some of them become like the Patagonia of, of our time but in the regeneration space. Oh, without question, I think. I think, I think we, what we want is not just one, one more Patagonia like company. No, many. We, want, we, we want many, right? That's, that's many, what many we're of these unicorns, for. yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, we don't need that. We, we don't want them to be unicorns. You know, we want, we want to have a, you know, a full, a full herd of them. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. I want to thank you so much for, for your time, Rose, and for sharing, of course, for the work you do and, and the fact that you didn't go and retire and, and, but actually, uh, get your hands dirty and, and do a lot of work after uh, I think an immense twelve years that also um, took took its toll or was was definitely a roller coaster ride. So I want to thank you for the the work you do in this space and uh, of course showing up here and and share about it. Thank you, Cohen. Thank you for having me today. Thank you so much for listening all the way to the end. For the show notes and links discussed, check out our website, investinginregenerativeagriculture.com forward slash post. Thank you so much for listening all the way to the end. For the show notes and links we discussed in this episode, check out our website, investinginregenerativeagriculture.com forward slash posts. If you like this episode, why not share it with a friend or give us a rating on Apple Podcasts? That really helps. Thanks again and see you next time.